You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. Today on the show, I am very, very excited to bring you this episode. This show is ultimately about delivering freedom. Freedom from limiting beliefs, freedom from societal and social conventions. It is our job to interview the best in the world in business, health and personal growth to give you leverage over yourself and ultimately freedom of your own circumstances. My name is Joseph Newton and today on the show we have certainly got a man that has escaped from the social matrix. Cute Blackson is in the house today. Cute was born to be the son of a miracle man of Ghana in West Africa. By the age of eight years old, his father, who was a revered spiritual leader, thrust Cute into the limelight and Cute started delivering weekly congregations in his family church. By the age of 14, 14, one four, Cute was speaking to hundreds of thousands of people every week through a network of his father's churches in which he had over 300 churches all connected. So despite a path looming as the leader, the heir to his father's throne on this network of religious churches, Cute decided this wasn't going to be his path. And in 1995, Cute packed up his bags, he had little to no money, and he decided to move to Los Angeles to try and become the next Oprah. In Cute's pursuit of greatness at this time, Cute hunted down the likes of Steven Spielberg, Richard Branson amongst others, to give him his shot in the limelight. And these are all things which we cover in today's episode. Today, Cute is a best-selling author. He wrote the book, You Are the One. Cute is an expert into the human potential, and he is also a highly demanded keynote speaker. Cute first caught my eye when I heard about his revolutionary program called The Liberation Experience. This is a program which possibly is the most transformative uh, program I've ever heard. Cute travels across India one-on-one with a client. The client is removed of their passport, their money, their sense of self. Cute begins the trip by asking the client to write their will. (laughs) He asks them to write letters in the potential case that they don't come back. And on this journey, they will go through the Ganges River. They'll visit the poorest slums in the world. They'll encounter 
enlightened yogis along the way. It's just a <laughs> just a crazy, crazy program. And Cute is a fascinating man, and he is most definitely an expert in the human potential and freeing ourselves from societal conditioning. Without any further ado, Cute Blackson, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. You moved to the U.S., as a very young man you have no money you've been very public in saying that at the time you wanted to be the next Oprah you were so driven in doing so that you were knocking the doors of Richard Branson Steven Spielberg all these giants of the industry when you were presented the opportunity that most men of that age could only dream of. Will you talk me through your decision-making process that led to you not taking the job? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I moved to the U.S. when I was 18 and uh, had a dream and a vision. So you're speaking to a specific point where, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, my, my life was all about making a difference in people's lives. And from a young age, I felt a calling to, to make a difference. And I left my father, my father had 300 churches, left my father's churches at, at 18, won a green card in the lottery, had 300 churches, hundreds of thousands of followers. I started speaking in my father's churches when I was age eight, age 14, I was ordained as a minister, age 18, left everything behind, came to the U.S. with two suitcases, knew no one in the country. And so I had a dream and a vision, you know, and uh, I was around, probably you're speaking to Momo, where I, I was probably around 20, 21 years old. And I wanted to be the next Oprah. I wanted to take spirituality and personal development and, and reach the masses. I wanted to, to reach people. I saw Oprah and she was making a difference. So she had this daily platform. So I had this vision. And uh, there came a moment where I was knocking on doors and I was taking action and I was pitching my vision to anyone that would listen. I would track down people. I tracked down people like Steven Spielberg and, and David Geffen and Richard Branson and Arnold Milchian and billionaires and, you know, heads of agencies. And everyone was rejecting me left, right and center. I mean, it, 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 people would look at me like, literally, you are crazy. Leave me alone. But I was so possessed with a vision and a dream. It felt bigger than me because I just I wanted to I wanted to make a difference on, on, on a large scale in some way, shape or form. And so for me, what happened was one day, finally, I. I wrote a letter to these huge managers. I mean, they managed Michael Jackson, Mariah Carey, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lopez. I mean, Backstreet Boys. They were like the biggest of the biggest managers around. And they read my letter. They were inspired. I sat down. I basically went into their office. They had just moved into new offices. We sat on the floor. And I gave them my best pitch. You know, I want to be the next Oprah. I want to inspire people and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I was sharing my vision. And one of the guys looked at me and he said, uh, we think you're going to be huge. We think you're going to be a star. We're going to turn you into a star. I want you to meet my uh, partner. He brings his partner in. He says, Coop, share your vision. I pitched his partner. And they said, we're going to make you into the next, you know, superstar. And give us like two years. You'll be like Rosie O'Donnell. You're going to be huge. You're going to be everywhere. And we'll take you into Fox. We'll take you into this. And so they started pitching me. And I was so excited. And I thought, finally, it's happening. And they said, okay, here's a contract. Go think about it. Make a decision. By tomorrow, we need to know. And uh, we need it signed tomorrow. Then we'll get to work. I went home. And here's where it happened. And I started to meditate. 
and everything I do, I realize that for me, my entire life has been guided. Uh, when my father ordained me as a minister at age 14, he announced to his congregation, my son is taking over my ministry. I knew that that wasn't my path. I knew, I mean, he announced in front of 5,000 people on a Sunday in London, South London, a place called Wandsworth. We had a big church. And he announced to everyone, my son is taking over my ministry. I knew my heart sank in that moment. I knew that was not my path. I knew that was not my specific calling. I wanted to reach people, but it wasn't through religion or the church. And my heart sank. And I was too afraid in that moment to tell my father, this is not my path. I was too afraid to, to be honest, because I was afraid that if I dared to be who I really was, I would lose his love. I'd be alone. I'd be outcast. You know, I would, I would lose his love forever and I would lose the relationship. And so I said nothing. And it took me four years of 14 to 18 of pain, struggle, hurt, you know, depression, uh, and my soul knew something wasn't quite right. So I was always very in touch with this feeling of what does it feel like to betray myself? And so another moment of my life came where I went home and I meditated on this contract and the, the proposition of being a huge star in, in the world with my own talk show. And I had the same feeling, the same feeling like mm, something's off. You know, I always tell people, when you feel that something is off, something's not quite right, that is your soul speaking to you. It's beyond the mind. It's beyond the logic. It's beyond your body. It's beyond your ego. It is not a feeling. It's, a, it's not an emotion. It's, a, it's not a feeling. It's a soul nudge that your soul is speaking to you beyond your mind, beyond your logic, even though it may not make sense. Often, when your soul speaks to you, it often doesn't make sense. And your soul has an intelligence. Your soul knows. Your soul has an intelligence. And I tell people, you don't always need to know where you're going in order to get to exactly where you need to be because that intelligence of your soul, it knows what it's doing. It knows where it's going. And, and I think our role, our job is to listen to our soul. When we don't listen to our soul and we listen to our ego, we listen to our mind, we listen to everyone else, we only get ourselves in trouble. We only end up betraying ourselves and we only end up creating more suffering in our lives and end up living limited lives. So I felt my soul nudging me and my, everything in my soul my mind and my ego, my personality was like, yes, take this opportunity. This is it. This is the moment. You've worked so hard. But there was a deeper knowing. There was a deeper something in my soul that said, no, this is not right. This is not aligned. This is not right. This is not aligned. This is not right. This is not aligned. This is, I didn't get the green light, so to speak. That same nudging I got when I was 14, when, when my father announced my son is taking over, something's not quite right. I got the same thing just when I was 14. I ignored it. Now I'm like 19, 20 years old. I felt the same thing again. I thought, shit, when, whenever I get this thing and I don't listen, it never ends up it it never ends up right and so what i what i really decided was there's a couple of things that really block us from being truly happy from being truly fulfilled from being truly alive it's really all the ways we lie to ourselves all the ways we bs ourselves all the ways we lie we rationalize we we play this game of confusion uh, you know i don't know mm, i'm not sure uh, i'm confused I, I i don't know when deep down we do know. We have a sense. We do know. There's a part of us that knows everything because at the deepest level, we are everything. And so I would ask everyone listening in, as you listen to my story, take a look at your life and really reflect, number one, what lies am I telling myself? Where am I lying to myself? Maybe we are in a relationship right now and 
it's no longer aligned. Maybe it was aligned 10 years ago when you met this person, but maybe now you're not compatible anymore or you've gone in totally two different directions or maybe you've learned the lessons for which you, you and that person came together in the first place and your souls aren't resonating together anymore and you know it deep down and you're not aligned, but you're like, well, maybe I could make it work. But deep down, you know, this is not aligned. To deny the truth of your soul is soul suicide. To betray the truth of your soul is suffering. And so what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? I think this is a place we have to start. We're often pretending that we don't know. We're often afraid to own the truth because we're afraid if I own the truth, then what will that mean for the life I've built? What will that mean for my current job? What will that mean for my relationship? Maybe you're working a job that you hate or a job that is not a full, fully in alignment with your own integrity, but you stay out of fear and you kind of say, well, uh, you know, it's not so bad. It's not. It's okay. I should be grateful when deep down your soul has a knowing Listen to the nudging of your soul. If you're depressed, I don't think this is bad. What we often try and do sometimes is we feel pain, we feel suffering, we feel unhappy, we feel depressed, and we either distract ourselves from it, we social media away, eat it away, drink it away, sex it away, uh, work it away, so that we don't have to feel or listen to the silent truth in our soul that knows if you take time to listen and connect. If you take time to be still, if you take time to create the space and listen beyond your mind, you will feel your soul speaking to you in whispers, in sensations, in nudgings. And so, what lies are you telling yourself? What are you pretending to not know? What is it costing you? What are the lies that you're telling yourself costing you? It will cost you your freedom, your happiness, your joy, your sense of aliveness. To me, happiness is very, very simple. Not always easy. Feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, tell the truth, live the truth. Happy life. The challenge is we don't. You know, we're often living a lie because often as children, we grew up thinking we have to be some other version of ourselves in order to get loved, be approved, fit in, be validated. And we weren't often just loved unconditionally just for who we were. We thought, oh, if I'm a certain way, if I'm nice, if I smile, if I dance, if I do this, if, I, if I'm that way, if I'm not that way, then I'm going to be loved. So unconsciously, we learned the sense of sort of lying to ourselves about how we feel and who we are to get love fit in and be validated and be approved and so really feel what am i most afraid of if i tell the truth what am i most afraid of if i tell the truth and and it, 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 you know to me transformation starts by telling the truth and so that was another moment in my life where i at 14 i didn't tell the truth at 18 19 20 21 years old I realized I have to tell the truth. You know, when I, when I was 18 and I left my father's church, I left my father's ministry, I literally left everything behind. Hundreds of thousands of followers, hopes, dreams of hundreds of thousands of people, my father's approval, I left everything behind. I looked into my future and I realized I could follow the expected path. You can follow the expected path to and literally be successful by everyone else's standards. But if you don't have yourself, you have nothing. You're just miserable. No matter what you build in the world, you're still a failure. And I realized I could take the path of the unknown, even though I had no idea where I was going. But I felt like if I was following my soul, then even though I didn't know where I was going, 
I, I, I could have a sense of peace. I could have a sense of integrity within myself, you know. And I realized if I start my life by living or if I live my life by living a lie and living for everyone else, not only will there be no way that I'm truly fulfilled and happy, even though I might have all the trappings of success down the road. If I live my life by living a lie, trying to please my father, trying to please everyone else, then I'm going to have to live the rest of my life and my entire life living a lie in order to continue to be loved. And I thought, what kind of life is that? And so when I was 21, back in this moment again, I had another moment. Life will test you. Life will give you all sorts of opportunities to come into alignment. To me, real success in life, and I realized it in that moment, real success in life is not simply what you attain, what you achieve, you know, the car, the house, the, you know, the watch, the material, the bank account, all of that stuff is great. I'm not anti-material stuff, uh, but to have all real success in life is ultimately two things. Real success in life is the degree to which you become the most authentic version of yourself. I believe that we incarnate into this human experience and existence as human beings. As souls, we incarnate to have a human experience. And as souls, we incarnate because we have certain things we want to experience and we have certain lessons that we are here to learn. And how we learn are through relationships and experiences. So ultimately, to me, everything and every experience is simply an opportunity for your soul to grow. And in that moment at 21, I had a choice and I realized this is another uh, soul's opportunity to grow and evolve. And I, I realized I had a choice. It was another choice. But am I going to follow my soul? Am I going to follow my own deep integrity? Am I going to listen to the truth and trust bigger than my mind and my personality and what I thought I wanted and trust if I do that and I live in alignment that will create and move me to, to along the highest path that I was meant to live. If I truly uh, believe in the universe, if I truly believe in life, if I truly believe in, in you know, my soul, then I realized I had, I, I, I had to say no. And it was a, honestly, man, it was, it was a tough decision. It was a difficult decision. I'm not going to say I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't, I was a little pissed off. I was a little mad. I was a little angry because I wanted what I wanted, which was to be a TV star. But I felt like something else was guiding me. And I think sometimes, sometimes we think we know what we want. And sometimes we get what we thought we wanted only to realize what we thought we wanted is not really what we wanted. It was just what we thought we wanted based on who we thought we were. And if we're not in touch with who we really are, then what we're going to, the goals and dreams and desires that we're going to be pursuing will often be based on our ego's needs and our ego's desires. And, uh, and so I, I decided to say, okay, let, 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 me, let me listen. Let me listen to my soul. Let me tell the truth. Let me feel the truth. Let me acknowledge the truth. Let me listen to the truth. And let me live that and see what truly happens, even though I didn't understand it in that moment. And so I told these managers, you know, I really want to do this, but my soul is guiding me otherwise. They thought, you're crazy, you know, and they thought I was crazy. And uh, that, big that took me on a whole journey. And I look back and I think sometimes not getting what you thought you wanted is actually a blessing love and grace of the universe sometimes not getting what you wanted will actually take you on a deeper path not getting what you thought you wanted and, and i look back on my life had i gotten what i thought i wanted then at 21 i probably would not have gone on the internal you know mental emotional uh 
a spiritual evolutionary journey that I went on in order to find my purpose and truly live my life. You know, I would not have gone on that journey and gone as deep as I went uh, over the years. And so to me, that, that, that journey I had to go on as a result of not following that or saying yes to that opportunity took me so deep inside of myself that allowed me the foundation to be doing what I'm doing now. Took me on a spiritual journey of, of self-discovery and healing and surrender that I realized the universe had to take that time to prepare me to do the work I'm doing now. And so you can't cheat, you can't skip the process that you have to go through for your soul to be prepared. I look at someone like Mandela, you know, Nelson Mandela was in prison, right, for 27 years. Should he have not gone to prison? Should he have not been, in, you know, in, in solitary confinement? Confinement in court? Should he have not? Should he, be in, should he have been let out after a year? Should, be, he, should he have been let out after two years? On one level, it would have been lovely, but on, a, on another level, he probably would not have had to deepen the sense of compassion, understanding, spiritual wisdom, soul force that made him the great Nelson Mandela capable of that degree and that level of forgiveness and leadership that he evolved into, that he would not have cooked. His soul would not have had to cook had he, let's say, uh, been in prison for a year or not gone to prison at all. So I believe ultimately... You know, whether we're able to see it in this moment, whether our ego is able to perceive it in this moment, the universe is always working for our highest good. The universe is always working to help us evolve. And every single experience of our life is an evolutionary opportunity for our soul's growth and, and evolution. And so that's the choice I made. I said no to these managers, and that took me on a whole different path. So when you say that you're knocking on Richard Branson and Steven Spielberg's door... Are they actually answering the door? Yeah, man. I mean, well, let's put it this way. <laughs> You're asking for some spe some specifics, so uh, I'll tell you a, a few of the stories if if, if you want. You please, know, for instance, please, yeah. with with, uh, with the Stevens. You know, I wanted to do this talk show, man, and I thought, you know what? No one's going to give it to me. You know, if I wait around and wait for Oprah, and Oprah's not going to show up on my doorstep, I. I got to be proactive and take this into my hands, you know, and, and I realized, shit, no one is coming. No one's going to save me. And I, and, and I got to do it. And so I decided I was going to do, I was going to do everything I could in my power to create this into reality. And so for instance, with Steven Spielberg, I write about it in my book, you are the one, but with Steven Spielberg, I, uh, I said, look, I was knocking on all these doors of agents and Hollywood people, and it wasn't happening. And I thought, these guys, they don't have any vision. I want someone with some vision. I read about Steven Spielberg in his, in his biography, and, 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 they, and, I, and I read this part in his book where he would climb over the fence at Universal, and he just set up camp on the lot of Universal, you know, without anyone knowing. Talk about the chutzpah, the balls, you know, the courage. I thought, <laughs> this is my kind of guy. He would understand. You know, he's a visionary. He doesn't conform to the, to the, to the sort of typical way of doing things, right, and the, the norm. And, uh, and so I thought, let me find Steven Spielberg. So I started asking around. Everyone said, you're crazy. Steven Spielberg, he's, you know, Hollywood. Well, no, I can't introduce you. I found one person I knew. He said, no, there's no way I'm introducing you to Steven Spielberg. <laughs> the only thing, he said, the only thing, because I like you, the only thing I can do is I could maybe introduce you to this guy that knows Steven Spielberg. Maybe he can, but I'm not willing to do it, even though I know him. And so he introduced me to this guy. The guy said, you're crazy. I'm not, I, I, I can't. He goes, 
he said, look, could I teach Steven Spielberg's son soccer, right? Uh, he's an adopted kid. I teach his son soccer on a Saturday in Brentwood, California. This was years ago. I said, can you introduce me? He, said, he says, no. Because look, I really like you. He says, all I can tell you, but you didn't hear it from me, is here's where we play soccer. Give me the address of the park in Brentwood by the post office. So I, that's all I said, that's all I need. I, I've literally put together, you know, a VHS video. This was like 15, 16 years ago. You know, VHS video. Uh, this is pre-internet, pre-all of that stuff, pre-Facebook. A VHS video, put together a really like $3 press kit, type up a, my bio, type up my show idea. And I said, I'm going to go be proactive and meet Steven Spielberg. And I put my suit on because I thought, you know, I wanted to be, uh, wanted to look the part, put my suit on with a suit and tie, Saturday morning, 7 a.m., drive to Brentwood. Uh, first week is not there. Second week I go back and I see Steven Spielberg at 7.30 in the morning with his wife on the soccer field watching his kid. And then I thought, oh my God, there's Steven Spielberg. This is my opportunity, you know? And my heart's beating, my heart's racing. I thought, oh my God, here he is. And then uh, something, don't go now, it's the middle of the game. So I wait till the end of the game. I'm, I'm, imagine this, I'm hiding behind a tree, right? I'm hiding behind a tree in the park looking very suspicious at this moment. I see 30 people, all the parents walking with the kids. Steven's walking with his kid. And I thought, it's now or never, man. It's now, I mean, I'm like, my, everything in my body is saying, don't do it. This is diving into your death. It's like diving into a cauldron of hot burning fire, right? And yet my soul is pulling me, say, this is your moment. Because I, I, I was so committed. What helped me move through my fear was, wasn't so much for myself or that I wanted to be a star. I was just so committed that I wanted to impact people. And that desire to serve and impact and reach people pulled me through my own fear and my own ego's resistance and smallness and so there he was there was Spielberg walking towards his car in the parking lot surrounded by people I said screw this this is my chance you only live once I jump out from behind the tree you can imagine the scene looks very suspicious I jump out from behind a tree I jump out in front of Mr. Spielberg. Everyone stops us. And I just launch into this pitch, Mr. Spielberg. I'm 21 years old. Da, 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 da. You, you know, I, I started pitching him. You know, you, you, you would sneak into the Universal lot and da, 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 da. I, I want to launch this talk show. I want to be the next Oprah. I want to make DreamWorks a ton of money. And da, da. He, I go on and on. He's, everyone's freaked out. Like, is this guy going to kill Spielberg or what's going to happen? Then his wife realizes, his wife, being the intuitive woman that she is, probably realized, okay, this guy is not crazy. He's just, you know, uh, maybe a few screws loose or he's got some big balls. But I, she smiled. She laughed. Stephen relaxed. And, I, and he said, wait, slow down. You kind of remind me of myself. Tell me what you want. Tell me how I can help you. And I, and I pitched him and I said, I want to do a talk show and I want him to launch producer. He goes, look, I don't really do talk shows, but I really like you. Give me your stuff. He, I, he, he takes my stuff. Uh, he says, I said, don't forget me. He says, I won't forget you. I kid you not. That was Saturday, Monday morning. I got a phone call from his office. Uh, his office said, someone's going to call you. I got a phone call from ABC TV company. And they said, Mr. Spielberg called us over the weekend, wants us to meet you. He set up this amazing meeting for me. And so, you know, nothing came of the meeting, but I was so grateful that I, I went and met Steven Spielberg. And so, look, I say, look, if you have a dream or vision, don't wait. If you have a dream or vision, you know, no one is going to do it for you. Jesus isn't coming. Buddha's not coming. Bruce Lee's not coming. Bruce Lee's dead. Gandhi's dead. Buddha's dead. You know, David Bowie's dead. Muhammad Ali's dead. These people have come and gone. But you and I, no one's coming because you and I are here right now, alive, breathing with gifts. And if you have a dream and if you have a vision, other people may not understand your dream and vision. But if you have a dream and a vision. 
Their dream has chosen you. Their dream has chosen you because you are the perfect person to fulfill that dream and vision. Everything you've been through in your life, every pain, every trauma, every hurt, every disappointment, everything you have been through in your life has been your soul's preparation to prepare you the cosmic chef, so to speak. The universe has been preparing you with all these ingredients of pain, of trauma, of hurt, of your parents, of success, of failures, to prepare you to be the perfect person, to be able to fulfill that dream and that vision. So recognize that if you have a dream or vision, it's chosen you for a reason. So your job is not to say no to it. Who are you to say no to it? The universe has chosen you. Your job is to say yes to it and show up. Your job is to say yes to it and do your part without attachment and trust that the universe, if you do your part and take action, the universe knows exactly how to fulfill itself through you if you're ready. And so my philosophy was, I'm going to show up and do my part and take action. And that's what I did. And so I went and tracked down, you know, Steven Spielberg and Branson and, and on and on and on and on. And that's kind of, you know, what I did back then. I'm just imagining you just leaping out this young guy in a suit on a early on a Saturday morning, <laughs> and it the entire crazy. car park just comes to a stop. <laughs> that was, was a brilliant, fun, brilliant story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if we just delve back into your story now, so breaking free of societal conditioning is difficult. I feel yes. as well not coming from the Western world makes it even more difficult. Uh-huh. So often we can get drawn into, you know, living other people's lives. And very often it's not a sledgehammer that's weighing mm. us down. It's a thousand paper clips which are all pinching at our back. This is a very, very difficult web to break out of. How did you manage to break yourself out of that web, Q? Mm. The web of conditioning. Yeah, you know, look, we're all conditioned. many times we think that we're free as human beings but we don't realize how conditioned we are we think we're free making free choices but we don't realize that many of the choices that we're making today are based on our past programming which is based on our parents which is based on their grandparents and some of us are even living out patterns of conditioning and addictions and ways of being and thought processes that don't even belong to us they belong to our parents they belong they, they you know they belong to our ancestors and our generations and we're often living out that programming today so first to break free you have to realize that you are conditioned Look, the first, this is what I'll say just as an analogy. When we're born as souls, we incarnate into this human experience as infinite souls. We, we're so infinite souls. We incarnate into this human experience as babies. And if you look into a baby's eyes, a child is free. A child is in touch with the divine. A child is in touch with the spark of the infinite. They're, they're in touch with their freedom. You know, talk about freedom. A child is in touch with a freedom, especially when they're babies. It's a reason why we look into a child's eyes and we see the light. A reason why we look into a child's eyes and we melt. We're reminded of our own infinity. We are reminded of our own divinity. We're reminded of our own greatness. We're reminded of who we really are. We're reminded of that true, essential nature of our beingness, of our essence. 
A child will jump on a table. It doesn't care. It's not conditioned. It's not thinking I've got to look like this, got to be this way, got to pose this way, got to look that way. What do you think of me? A child will jump on a table naked. It's not thinking am I fat? What do you think? It will run naked, pee on the floor, shit, pee, laugh, roll around, totally unselfconscious, totally free. What happened to us? A child will sing. It's not doesn't care if it doesn't sound like, let's say, you know, Celine Dion or Bruno Mars or, you know, Adele. It's just free. What happened to us is we reach age 15 and age 20 and age 30 and age 40. What happened to that free sense of essence, being, freedom? Well, we're born and we meet our parents. And our parents, you know, they're just doing the best that they can do based on their life, based on their programming. And we, the conditioning starts. We're born often into an experience where maybe there's pain, there's hurt, there's trauma, maybe there's abuse, mental, emotional, physical, sexual abuse, you know, neglect, emotional abandonment. Uh, maybe our parents are alcoholics or they scream. Whatever our environment that we were born into, the circumstance we all, you know, maybe our dad wasn't around, maybe our mom wasn't around, whatever it was. We all, as human beings, face some level of trauma uh, that we have to deal with that affects us and impacts us in a certain way. Whether we are aware of it, whether we admit it, or whether we don't, it's happening. Even when we think, oh, everything was perfect, there's some level and some impact that is happening. And the degree to which we're not conscious of it is the degree to which we are often a slave to our conditioning. And so we're born into this environment. So two things happen. The first thing that occurs is we start learning all sorts of strategies, all sorts of ways to shut down, disconnect, not feel, shut down, disconnect, not feel, shut down, suppress, not feel the pain, the hurt, the guilt. A dad's not around. Shut that down. Suppress that down. Don't feel that because it's too painful. Our parents are screaming. It's too painful. It's too sensitive. We're afraid. We shut that down. We develop walls and walls and walls and layers and layers and layers and layers inside of our heart to not feel the pain of whatever the experience was. Sometimes we're not, often we're not even aware of what we're doing is just an unconscious protective mechanism that kicks in for survival and a coping mechanism, coping strategy that gets developed to ultimately survive and cope. The conditioning begins and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of our unfelt feeling, layers and layers and layers of our unfelt you know, emotion get stored inside of us just so that we can you know, deal with the pain of our environment and we're often not aware. And so emotions are suppressed deep, deep, deep layers, layers upon layers. Then we go out into the world and we start learning the sense of who do I need to be in order to be loved, in order to be approved? Who do I need to be in order to fit in? Who do I need to be in order to get my, 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 my father's approval, my mother's approval? Who do I need to be in order to fit in, get loved, be validated? Who do I need to be in order to, to, to ultimately be accepted by you, by my parents, by everyone? And so slowly, we unconsciously often, again, as a survival mechanism, as a survival strategy, we start developing all sorts of roles and masks. Maybe as children, we were loud enough. That's a be quiet, shut up. Children are seen and not heard. Maybe we were beaten for being a certain way. Maybe we were, you know, with love with withdrawn for being a certain way. So unconsciously we start learning, oh, if I'm this way, I get love. If I'm that way, I don't get love. If I'm this way, ah. So we start learning all sorts of ways that we need to be in order to get love, fit and be validated. And slowly we develop all sorts of roles, masks and personas. 
a persona, a limiting character that we start holding on to, that we start becoming, we start developing, we start reinforcing, we hold tightly onto that way of being, thinking this is who I am. Maybe we, we become the, for me, became the perfect kid, became, you know, the responsible one, the independent one, the savior of everyone. You know, I became that sort of angelic one, the, the perfect kid and, and the independent one. And so we start developing all sorts of roles, strategies, personas to fit in, get love, be validated and and they often work for us when we were five and when we were seven and we were age 10 and when we were 15 but often as we get older you know 20 25 30 35 40 45 50 50 on and on those survival mechanisms and personas often get in the way of our full ability to love our full self-expression our full capacity for authenticity our full ability to 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 express ourselves and to 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 receive love and be intimate and be in relationship they often get in the way uh, of our full capacity of being ultimately who we really are but we often hold so tightly onto two things that We've learned to shut down, disconnect, not feel, and we've learned to be a certain way that we think we need to be in order to get love. We hold that tightly onto that. That gets reinforced by people who love us for being that way. And also, we may have learned to to, uh, create a level of survival and success in the world by being this person that we've been conditioned to become. We often say, no, no, this is just who I am. I'm just a nice guy. I'm just a kind one. I'm just a caretaker. I'm just a funny person. I mean, the list goes on and on. I'm just this. I, this is just who I am. And so the question we have to start asking ourselves is, is who I am? Is who you are who you really are? Or is it simply who you've been conditioned to be based on programming, based on childhood, based on upbringing based on parents because the degree to which you are conditioned is the degree to which you do not have free will the degree to which you are conditioned is the degree to which you do not have the freedom to choose you are locked inside of a prison of your conditioning and the degree to which you are locked inside of that prison of your conditioning and your persona is the degree to which you are not free to create your life. It's the degree to which you are victim to your life. It's the degree to which you are not free to fully express yourself profoundly. And so the first step is we have to be aware that we're conditioned because most of the time we are not aware that we are conditioned. We are not conscious and aware that we are conditioned. So the first step is become aware that you're conditioned and begin to investigate your conditioning. Become, be, begin to become aware of your responses, begin to become aware of your reaction, begin to become aware of why you do what you do, begin to question those personas, those ways of being, being the nice guy, being the the kind one, being the over-responsible one, being the yes person, being the people pleaser, begin to question, where did that start? Where did I learn that? Where did I begin that? Who Who do I think I need to be in order to be loved? What do I think I need to say in order to be loved? What would I say and who would I be if I didn't need to be who I thought I needed to be? And start asking yourself the question. So who am I really? Who am I really? You know, and I think that's where we have to begin and then be willing to feel some of the feelings that we've learned to suppress in order to function and survive. Begin to feel some of the feelings we've learned to shut down and suppress and disconnect in order to function, survive, in order to get love and be approved. And so it starts with uh, a level of becoming conscious and aware of yourself an investigation and being conscious and aware of who you are an inquiry into your conditioning because we're often not aware that we're conditioned and that's where i think we have to start i love 
that example that you gave of the child, the child that is completely liberated from social conditioning, expectations, mm -hmm. I think it can just be one of the most beautiful things in the world, just, just seeing that, you know, I mean, as you said, you give that example, <clears throat> the child is just completely in touch with itself, it'll laugh, it'll run, it'll jump, it'll scream, it's completely devoid of the judgment of, of other mm -hmm. people's thoughts. And that got me thinking when you said that. How do we reconnect to that inner child within us? Well, first, we have to acknowledge the inner child. You know, I think most of the time we don't even acknowledge the inner child. And often when we are triggered, when we are hurt, when we are upset, when we are in relationships and all of our shit comes up and we're feeling neglected, we're feeling disappointed, we're feeling unloved, we're feeling unworthy, we're not aware that, you know, there's something inside of us often from the past that is that is actually, you know, activated and triggered that yeah, the, a, a young part of us often the feeling that we're feeling is kind of familiar to when we were five, that feeling we're familiar, you know, when, our, when your wife or your husband or your spouse or someone says something and you're feeling reactive often or really reactive, often there's a part of you that's very young that is triggered that we're often not aware of. We often think that what is happening is really what's happening and often what's happening is actually not what's happening. What's happening is, is often something else has been triggered inside. And so we have to be willing to first become responsible and conscious for our inner experience we often have this thing of i'm upset because you did xyz i'm upset because you're a certain way i'm upset because you're being a certain way and so what we often do that stops us from connecting with our own inner child and our own inner, inner source of kind of pain is we project our pain on the other person so i'm upset because you're being xyz and so so we often try to control the other person make the other person wrong focus on the other person and get the other person to change and be a certain way. If I can get my husband to be different, then I'm going to not be upset. If I can get them to be a certain way, then I'm going to be kind. If I'm going to get them to be a certain way, then I'm going to be happy. And so then we often try and spend so much time outside of ourselves, which takes us outside of ourselves, rather than realizing, wait a second, spending time trying to control other people is often not effective, often doesn't work, is often limited. So rather than focusing and taking away from myself, let me go inside. I'm upset. Let me focus on my upset. Let me bring the focus back on, on, on my upset, my hurt, my jealousy, my insecurity, my pain, right? and ask oneself, hmm, how is this familiar? How is this feeling familiar? Is there anywhere I felt this before? When did I feel this growing up? When was the first time I felt this sensation, this feeling? And likely we'll start realizing, hmm, the other person your husband, your wife, your spouse, your kid, whoever, is not the source of your upset. Yes, they said something and they're triggering it, but the fact that it's been triggered is likely a sign that the pain you're feeling was there before. And it's triggering something that was there before. And so if they're triggering something that was there before, that person today in, in your adult life is not the source of why you feel the way you feel. They're just exposing a wound that was there before of, let's say, in what you said, that inner child. And so if you can take the focus off of the other person, put the focus back on yourself, go inside and say, okay, something's going on inside of me. Okay, this is in me. How is this familiar? What does this remind me of? Where did, where did I feel this the first time? Let me be with the sensation. Huh, 
Oh, and if you if you focus on your inner experience, you often realize, ah, oh, this is feeling like this is feeling similar to how I felt when I was five. This is fe- this person. This is feeling kind of like how I felt with my dad, with my mom. I'm feeling a similar way with my wife that I was feeling when I was seven years old with my with with my father. Ah. Oh then we can start going inside to acknowledge that part of ourselves that is very tender. Call it that inner child symbolically that is inside of us and we all have that part of us that needs love and attention. And so, you know, to me, the parts of you that are hurting are simply parts of you that need the most love. And to truly facilitate healing, healing is to apply and bring loving to those parts of you that are hurting. So when those parts of you are activated and hurting, call it the inner child, it's not bad. It's not like something's wrong. It's not like you're not, you know, evolved. It's just part of you is needing your attention. And if you're willing to have a relationship with that part of you, like, oh, part of me needs my attention. Not that I'm defective or something's wrong. Part of me is needing my attention. How can I bring some attention to this part of myself? Then healing can happen. And I think healing happens when we bring compassion and love to that part of ourself. And we hold that inner child, that young part, those, those parts of us that are hurt, those parts of us that are sensitive, those parts of us that, that are in need of love and compassion that, so, that, that often end up acting out. They're acting out because they're in need of attention. And so the more we're able to bring loving and compassion and attention to those parts, I think that's where healing can happen. And so uh, we have to be willing to acknowledge there is a child, there is an inner child in us. There is a young part of us. And, and when, when, when we're activated, those parts of us are speaking to us and we must pay attention. It's like a fire alarm going off in your house. If a fire alarm went off in your house, you wouldn't just, you know, watch Netflix and ignore it. If a fire alarm was beeping in your house, you wouldn't just put your headphones on and iPods on and just play music. You would probably go check it out investigate oh maybe there's a little smoke check it out oh there's nothing maybe there's something defective with the fire alarm but you wouldn't ignore it yet with ourselves as human beings we feel the fire alarm we feel the pain we feel the jealousy the hurt the insecurity and what do we do we ignore it and so we have to acknowledge yes there is a very tender part of us that needs our compassion that we must learn to start meeting with love how would you so i would say how would you hold a newborn and meet yourself that way with that level of kindness and that level of compassion and that level of love. And, and I think our relationship with ourselves is the most important relationship we can, we can have. And to me, the real issue is not the issue. The real issue is how you relate with yourself as you go through the issue. And so no matter what happens in life and no matter what you do or what you don't do, because the reality is as a human being, you're never going to be perfect. You're going to make some mistakes as part of being human. And as a human being, you're here to experience life. And how you experience life is through experiences and relationships. And, you know, you're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. And you're going to screw up. And you're going to be, you're going to hurt people. You're going to get hurt. It's going to be a little messy. And so the real issue is not the issue. The real issue is how you relate with yourself as you go through those issues. And can you hold yourself with kindness? Can you hold yourself with tenderness? Can you hold yourself with compassion? Even when you don't feel like you have a lot of compassion for yourself, can you hold yourself with some compassion for not having compassion? And I think that's where a beginning of healing starts. So that's what I would say. I've, I've heard in previous interviews you talk about this idea of how cells, they regenerate every seven years or so. So our, our, sure. our, our sense of, of self... It's in flux. Who we were seven years ago is not who we are today. 
And when mm-hmm. I think about our sense of self, it's magnified by things like the echo chambers that are social media, the societal constructs which we've touched on, opinions, experiences. You're wired to have this constant comparison mm-hmm. effect going on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'd love to know for you personally, what process have you used to discover who you really are? Looking at your con- looking at my conditioning and really questioning myself is this who i am is this what i believe where did i learn this where did i get this asking actually questioning myself is this is this true is this not true is this mine is this my who how do i know this for sure and really taking a look and questioning where you know if i'm acting if you if i'm acting a certain way really looking well where did this start how did this start how did this come into place you know, what's underneath that? What's driving that? And so I think we have to be attentive and conscious and aware of ourselves moment to moment in a relationship with ourselves moment to moment and questioning ourselves moment to moment, because ultimately you are not who you think you are. So it's a moment to moment process of, 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 of a relationship and questioning and unraveling and massaging your own, you could say, layers and patterns of conditioning. I don't think there's a quick fix on a couple of, you know, hacks here and there. It's an ongoing process of being willing to investigate and question and, and really take a, taking a, the courage to actually not know who you are for a moment, the courage to not know who you are and question yourself. And most of the time, we're not willing to question ourselves because we get so comfortable thinking we know who we are. But the reality is we don't know who we truly are because we're conditioned. And so uh, for me, it's been a process of questioning, who, who am I really? You know, what do I know for sure? Look, ultimately... If you were in a hospital room, if, if you, let's say, hit your foot, fell, hit your head, lost your memory, uh, and you woke up in a hospital room and the doctor said, you know, you've had a fall and you hit your head and you lost your memory. It's amazing. Your memory's gone. It's gone. Don't know what happened, but you lost it. It's amazing that you're alive. But what could you say? You'd look around and say, well, what's, what's your name? You didn't even know your name. What could you say in that moment? Okay. And he said, your name is Mike Tyson. Uh, okay. And they said, you know, you're from the island Tahiti. Okay. I mean, like, what could you say in that moment of the hospital room if you lost your memory completely and you're being told who you are? Your name is Mike Tyson. You're from Tahiti. You know, you sell marshmallows, you know, and you belong to the religion of the ants. And I mean, you, you'd have no idea. You, all this stuff you're being told, all you could really say is probably, uh, oh, oh, okay, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. So what happened to the you prior to that moment that you were so sure about? What happened to the you that prior to that moment you thought that you were and everything that was associated to that you in that moment where you lost your memory completely forever, that you was gone in that moment. So don't be so sure about who you are. And so in that moment in the hospital room, what could you be sure of? The only thing that you could be sure of in the hospital room as you would look around. You're being told who you are. You're being told who your name is. You're being told what religion you are. You're being told what to believe. You're being told. You're being told. You're being told. So much of what we are, we've been told, but we don't question. We just assume, oh, this is who I am. So is it? For me, I sat in a room for many hours and I questioned, is this what I believe? Or is it what my father believes? Is this what I believe? Or is this what my mother believes? Is this what I believe? Or is this what society has told me to believe? What do I actually believe? 
And so for me, that process, the courageous process of investigating your own consciousness in that hospital room, the only thing you could know for sure, for sure, your name, you can't even know what your name is, where you, the location, you've been told that you're in Los Angeles, that you're in Wales, that you're in Phoenix, that you're in Bali. You've been told that. It's a concept that you've been told and we believe it. Fair enough. What you believe and you agree on becomes your reality. And so in the hospital room, the only thing that you can know for sure. Wow. With your own direct experience, yes, is I am. You look around and go, well, I am. I am Coop. I am Johnny. I am Tony. I am Susie. I am Barbara. Uh, you, I've been told I'm a coup. What is a coup? What is a John? What is a, these are concepts. I'm a Buddhist. I'm a, you know, Jewish. I'm a this. I'm a better t concepts. I'm not enough. I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. Concepts, ideas that we hold onto and stories that we've made up that we hold onto. The more, then we hold onto these stories about ourselves and those stories become reality because then they get reinforced by life. The only thing you could know for sure is I am. Everything after I am is an idea and a concept that is changeable. The only thing that is unchangeable is I am. The I am presence of your being, which is your soul, which is your infinite essence, which is your energy, which is consciousness. What you and I are is pure consciousness. The unchangeable consciousness that is beyond birth, beyond death, that is looking out of your eyes right now. Right now, out of your eyes, something is looking. It's not you as a personality. Something is looking. Your body changes. Your hair changes. Your thoughts changes. Your beliefs change. Your emotions change. Your religion changes. All these things are changing. But something is looking out of those eyes that has never changed from when you were five years old. Your hands change. Your shoe size change. I mean, all these things change. Something is looking out of those eyes that has never changed, that is free. That is beyond condition. What is that? We often just don't bring our attention there because we're so fixated by the world. And so and social media and media and television and advertising is constantly distracting us and hijacking us with visuals and channels and media and entertainment to distract you from who you really are. Because if you can be distracted, another channel, another channel, another post, another post, another post, another visual, another this, another that, another that. If you can be distracted from who you really are, then you can be controlled, then you can be disconnected, then you feel depressed, then you can be sold. Then we're constantly being sold. This is who you are. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. But if you just buy this shoes, if you just wear this underwear, if you just drive this car, if you're just this person, then you're going to be enough. And it's going to cost you $27.95 buy this product. Then you could be enough. And the truth is, you are whole, perfect, and complete. You are not your body. You are not your name. You are not your form. What you are is so much more. You and I, we are all an infinite source of energy beyond name, beyond form. And when we know what we are, I think we become truly powerful. When we know what we really are, right, if you truly right now, you don't even have to believe me. Just investigate yourself. Feel what is breathing you right now. As you listen to this conversation, there is an intelligence. I don't, I don't care if you believe in God. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care what you are and what you're not, Buddhist, Christian. It doesn't really matter. The fact that's irrefutable is something is beating your heart. We can go into the this and the microbiome, but the fact is still something is beating your heart. There is an energy, a life force, 
I don't have a label for it, but something is beating your heart. The same intelligence that is beating 7 billion people simultaneously. That doesn't have a name. Something is beating your heart. It's digesting your food. It's processing trillions and trillions of processes in your body right now. What is this something? So what we must do is take the time to get into relationship with that. Take the time to question. What is that? Who am I? What's in me? What's breathing me? What's living me? What's functioning? What's looking? What's digesting? Huh. And I think the deeper we go into that, the more we will start realizing who we really are beyond this body, beyond our name, and beyond what we've been conditioned to be as a set of patterns. We are so much more. And so that's a process of inquiry. I think we have to go on to who am I really? So cute. So you are an author yourself. Are there any books which have impacted your life? Sure. You know, at different stages, I'll be honest, at different stages of my life, there were books that impacted my life. Okay. So the first book I read was, was at eight years old. I read a book called Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain. It was uh, pre the law of attraction. As I read books by Shakti Gawain as a young boy, age eight, age nine, age 10. I read uh, people like, you know, old school metaphysical books, uh, Emmett Fox, uh, Neville, uh, Norman Vincent Peale, uh, Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill was a huge impact at age 10 or age 11. Then I grew up reading uh, age 11, age 12, people like Stuart Wilde, who was a British uh, spiritual teacher who was amazing and Krishnamurti, Osho as a 13-year-old kid. And so there were books that really impacted my life. A, a classic for me that to this day is, you know, still a classic is a book called I Am That by an Indian spiritual teacher, Nisargadatta Maharaj, very powerful book. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's hardcore. It's no joke. Uh, it, it's like a strong shot of tequila. It's, it's uh, for the soul. It's powerful. What rules do you love to break, Cute? everyone <laughs> because for me there's no rules rules are simply limitations that are imposed by your ego and when you go beyond your ego and you realize that you want just this body rules belong to the uh, to the more identified you are to your ego the more rules that you have to have to keep yourself in place and so when you realize that what you are is an infinite source of energy a soul that is beyond this body, that's not just a conditioned form, a set pattern, a set rhythm, then you go beyond rules and then you start transcending the rules that perhaps you used to need to have in order to have a sense of illusory control of yourself. Mm. So at that certain level, when you transcend, rules cease to exist and then you start making up your own reality for what you want things to be. Let's imagine a scenario in which every person on this planet was tuned into the same frequency and you could give a short but impactful message to every person listening. What would your message to the world be? You're going to die. You are going to die. Me, you, Bob Marley, Bruce Lee, David Bowie, we're all going to die. None of us know Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, Jack Ma, everyone is going to die. You're going to die. Martin Luther King died. Jesus died. Buddha died. Mother Teresa died. Nelson Mandela died. You're going to die. And each day you have 86,400 seconds to live your life. If death came right now, would you be ready? 
could you throw your arms open saying, yes, life, I'm living, I'm living life fully. I'm giving everything. Or would you have regret? Because the people in 9-11 had no idea that they weren't going to come back that night, look their loved ones in the eyes and say, I love you. The people in the Southeast Asian tsunamis had no idea, or the wildfires in California had no idea that they wouldn't maybe come home, look their loved ones in the eyes and say, I'm sorry. So I would say, look, if there's something you want to do, don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for a special date. Don't wait for another moment to celebrate. Don't wait or hold on to any hate. If there's someone you need to forgive, forgive them now because life is short. If there's a job that you hate, let it go. Move on. Follow your soul's passion because life is short. And at the end of your life, when you're dead and your time is up and over because it will come, you can't go to your maker or whatever you believe and say, God, please can I get a refund for those two years? I was in that relationship. That was a wrong relationship. Can I get a refund for those five years I was in that job that I hated? No. Once time is gone, it's gone. And time is the most precious resource that you and I have that we cannot get back. I can't get it back. And no matter how much Bill Gates pays, he can't get it back. So recognize the gift. Tomorrow is not a right. It's a privilege. And so how do you need to live in a way there are two things. Number one, you have no regrets. How would you need to live so that you have no regrets? Like for real, this life is ticking, man. It's ticking. It's going. It's going. And it's gone. Don't get to the end of your life ungiven. Don't get to the end of your life with gifts and potential inside of you going, I wish I should, I could have given more. Don't wait to get to the end of your life saying, man, I have so many regrets. There's so much love I wanted. Don't get to the end of your life with anything left inside. Give it all. Give it all now. Do it all now because ultimately the fact you will die is a guarantee. So the question is, how will you live your life? And how will you live your life since tomorrow is not a right, it's a privilege in a way that you can make a difference, in a way that you can be of service to humanity? Because ultimately at the end of your life, you take nothing with you. No, no bank account, no shoes, no watch, no Lamborghini, no house, no nothing other than who you became and the love that you gave. And so, love now, love fully, give everything. You may not see Steven Spielberg in the car park tomorrow, but maybe you've got your own Steven Spielberg and don't let him get to the car without jumping out. (laughs) (laughs) So, cute, where can our audience connect with you and what links do you have for us? Sure, yeah, yeah. Firstly, thanks for having me on and just being, you know, generous and I love these questions. We've, We've kind of covered a lot. I tried to pack in a, a lot in. So thank you for having me on. And hopefully I'll be back at some point. There's, I feel like we're just scratching the surface, my friend. But it was awesome, awesome experience. And so, folks, if you, if anyone feels inspired, I would love to connect with you. There's a couple of ways. Firstly, social media, obviously, YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. I'm there. Coop Black's in my name. Uh, my main website, if you feel really inspired and perhaps you feel in your life a calling to make a difference. My passion in life is helping people, you know, uh, free themselves of their past, connect with who they really are and, and catapulting you forward to living your gifts in the world. So coopblackson.com is my website, K-U-T-E-B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N.com, where you can find out a lot of great resources. And uh, my fav- perhaps my favorite event I do twice a year uh, is in Bali, where I take 18 people, visionaries, leaders, and really, ultimately, those of you that feel a deep calling in your heart to make a difference, to share your gifts with the world and have an impact, and you feel ready to go to that next level, uh, you can go to www.boundless, 
blissbarley.com. That's boundlessblissbarley.com. Find out about the special event, and I hope to meet you along the path soon. Everything will be linked below. Cute, this was this was phenomenal. We certainly hope to have you back on in the future. And man, thank you. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. It was a true pleasure to connect. Thank you. Thanks so much.